Hey everyone, and welcome to the God and My Girlfriends podcast, where we talk about how to nurture the most important relationships in our lives, our relationships with God, our friends, and with ourselves. So join us, won't you? Hey friends, it's Marsha, and wow, it's July, y'all. <laughs> I honestly can't believe how fast this year is going and how fast this first season of the podcast is going. We only have one more episode after this week, and then I'm going to take a little summer break. However, I'll definitely be doing some research and finding interesting guests to include in season two. So please, please let me know what kind of topics you'd like us to discuss and maybe some guests you'd love us to reach out to and try to get on the podcast. This podcast is for you. So you guys let me know what you need. Do you want to hear more about self-care, spiritual issues, friendship tips, cultural, religious topics? Nothing is off limits here. Um, speaking of topics, a hot topic lately in many circles right now is the topic of patriarchy in our culture and specifically in the church. Um, I'm in the middle of reading Beth Allison Barr's new book, which is called The Making of Biblical Womanhood. I cannot recommend it enough. It is unbelievable. And I'm also reading at the same time because I'm always reading more than one book at one time. I'm also reading Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Dumay. Both of these books are highly enlightening on the history of patriarchy. I can't say that. Patriarchy. And, uh, and how it's changed throughout the years. I mean, it really has changed. Especially how it's grown within the white evangelical circles. Um, as someone who personally has gone through uh, a spiritual deconstruction process over the last few years, it has really surprised me to find out how many scriptures have been taken out of context and and used to create a, a culture of male domination, especially in the churches I attended. Um, both of these books really blow the lid off of much that I had been taught, and it's been pretty eye-opening as to the incorrect interpretations and theology that still dominates many religious sects. But we won't get into all that right now. What I do want to do right now is introduce our special guest this week who has also written a book that just blew my mind in dealing with scriptures and especially women in the Bible. You guys are going to love this conversation that I had this week with my guest, Reverend Sherry Cothran. But first, let me tell you just a little bit about Sherry, because she has quite a background. First of all, she has served as senior pastor in United Methodist congregations in Nashville and Chattanooga, Tennessee for over a decade. Formerly, she's a recording artist on Mercury Records, and she is an award-winning singer, songwriter, and the author of two books. She has released four solo CDs. Her music has been featured in TV and film, and she has shared the stage with big hit rock acts such as the Goo Goo Dolls, Bare Naked Ladies, Spin Doctors, and toured around the world as the lead singer of the popular rock band The Evan Roods before entering seminary at Vanderbilt Divinity and becoming an ordained United Methodist minister. Yes, I asked her about that leap. That was a big one. Um, 
Her first book was written when she was a pastor of a multicultural urban church in West Nashville. Sherry began to write stories on her blog of everyday sacred encounters with those that were labeled refugee, immigrant, and homeless, and she later shared them in a book that became beloved by readers titled Tending Angels, Stories from the Front Lines of Heaven and Earth. But today, I can't wait to talk with her about her newest book, which is called Wild and Holy Women of the Bible. Discovering some of the many women leaders in the Bible that have been glossed over by many of the church teachings, it's just amazing. She was also an artist-in-residence in 2015 at Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Her story has been featured in various publications, including USA Today, and recently she became the founder and president of the nonprofit Beloved Woman, which is a ministry that helps women who are financially disadvantaged to become self-employed and find a pathway to a living wage. That's amazing. She still tours regularly, performing, speaking, and leading workshops. So, I mean, this woman is so busy. We are so grateful she took the time to join us for this conversation. Join me on this. <laughs> join me for a conversation, but join us on this podcast. So, y'all, um, grab your tea, your coffee, your wine, whatever. Sit back and uh, get ready to learn a lot about the wild and holy women of the Bible with Reverend Sherry Cothran. Hi, Sherry Cothran. Thanks for being here. Hey, Marcia. Thanks so much for having me. I have been so looking forward to this conversation. Um, you and I have never, never met like personally yet. We will. Um, but we have some common friends. And my, my friend Ramona McKenzie is the one that really um, was raving about you. I saw her posting about this fabulous book we're going to talk about in a minute. And she actually sent me a text message that said, I just ordered you a copy of Sherry's book after only reading the first chapter. Girl, we need this now. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm so excited because I had just been talking with her. I'd been reading um, other, some other books on the topic of biblical womanhood. Mm -hmm. And that was just really stirring in my heart so this was perfect timing to get this book and um I have so many questions but before we get there um I just want to take a minute and talk about you personally for a minute and start with of course I just got through um telling all our listeners all the amazing stuff that you've done and kind of introducing you in a way of what you do but the first question I always ask every guest on this first season is, besides what you do, what is one thing you'd like listeners to know about you, about Sherry? Uh, I can't think of anything super amazing. So <laughs> let's talk about my dog. Oh, I, <laughs> I just have this little doxy named Louie. He's a rescue. And I got we got him for my husband and he absolutely did not like men. And gravitated towards me. I did not want a little dog. I had a big lab at the time. And now he is like my little shadow. I don't know if he rescued me or I rescued him. But he's rescuing me like all the time. And he's just wonderful. That seems to happen <laughs> with rescues. Yeah, I know. We have a rescue as well. And actually our, 
whole episode last week um, was with my friend Carol Anderson, who wrote a book about life lessons we learn from our dogs called Paw mm, Prince. You of told Wisdom. me about that. I can't yeah. wait to read it. It is so good. And it really is. It really does highlight. I mean, they just, they become such a big part of our world, don't they? They do. And I believe we're going to see them in heaven. So I <laughs> totally believe that. Actually, when we lost our first dog, I was so distraught that I did some biblical digging. Like I needed to know that I was going to see him again. And I, I believe it. I one believe of my, it. I lost my lab in December. One of my best friends Aww. called me and said to me, you know, when they pass away, they take our pain with them. And I thought that was the sweetest thing to say. She's a therapist and mm. it, you know, I don't know if it's true, but <laughs> it just was really comforting to me. It was like, wow, they really are God's gift to us. They have unconditional love for us and they just bring joy in, mm -hmm. into your world. And when they pass, it feels like part of that joy leaves, you know, but um, they have a purpose and as we all do, as every living thing does. And yes. so, um, yeah, so that's that. I thought that was sweet. But anyway, I don't want to digress, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. We all, have, we all have dog stories. You're an animal lover. That's <laughs> awesome. I am. Um, so you live in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee right now. Yes. You, you and your husband live down there. I miss um, Nashville terribly. Do you? <laughs> yes, I do. Well, it's not that far, girl. You can come I know. Up. I go up there all the time. A lot of my really good friends are there, and I was there for two decades plus, so I really miss it. I know. You and I had a phone conversation the other day, and we just sort of slightly missed each other like we have a lot of common friends and we know all the we were kind of running around in all the same places down on music when, row when music row was music row <laughs> oh my gosh exactly. it's, not there anymore. it's not there anymore it's it's actually hard for me to drive down there like people come into town and they they want to go see where all the record labels and everything well I take them down there, but it's just like a ghost town. It's it, so it is sad. Very sad. But I'm grateful that I got to experience that whole, like, the Nashville show was written at a time that I lived through. Yes. You know, when we were in publishing houses and we had songwriters and we were songwriters and, you know, we did go into those old houses and write songs and it was a community you know, and, and that did exist. And, and I remember it. So it's, it's fun to have that as a memory. Same, same. It, it almost felt like a college campus down there to me because it did. It did. you could drive down and, you know, you were driving down, whether you're on, you know, 16th or 17th or 18th or that whole little area, you could hardly drive down without seeing somebody, you know, walking up and down, they're walking to a writing appointment or to another meeting and they're carrying a guitar and you're just like, Hey, there's so-and-so, Hey, you know, and Oh my gosh, it was really, really a special time to be working down there. Mm -hmm. um, so where did, where did you grow up, Sherry? I grew up in a really small town in West Tennessee called Greenfield. Oh, okay. And it's 45 miles north of Jackson, Tennessee. And, you know, it's just a wild place. Um, lots and lots of farmland and woods and rivers and fields and um I grew up in a really small southern baptist church like so many of us did and 
uh, yeah, that's where I became acquainted with Bible stories and Bible stories really became my world. But I didn't, you know, I didn't, um, there was lots of stories that were just hidden uh, from me that I never knew existed. You know, I think Walter Brueggemann talks about we have overly domesticated our Bible stories. And I think with this book, what I've tried to do is take people out of the domesticated stories into the wildlands of the Bible where women's stories really do come to life. And over the years, as I, you know, went to seminary and became a pastor and all that, and just kept writing and writing and writing, my writing evolved into writing stories about these women and writing songs about these women. And as I just kind of immersed myself into that world, I got to know these women that I began to call the untamed, wild, holy women of the Bible. And so that's kind of how this, this book came about. It really does have its roots in that little Baptist church in West Tennessee. And that certainly is where I fell in love with Bible stories, but it grew and evolved. <laughs> yeah. I, like you, I grew up Southern Baptist and I, it's, it's amazing to me now as an adult, as I have started doing a lot more in-depth Bible study of my own, not just reading the Bible, but studying the Bible, how so many stories are in the Bible that were just completely skimmed over and a lot of them centered around women, women leaders, women prophets, strong women. And warriors. And warriors. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Why do you think that? I mean, do you think it was completely based in patriarchy in our day? And that's why they just sort of glossed over all of these stories? Well, um, in the introduction, I talk about how traditional Christian doctrine gets constructed. And, and certainly Beth Allison Barr does the history of that beautifully. And there are other scholars that do that history beautifully. Elizabeth Clark is one. She talks about the construction of women in traditional church doctrine. And what we find happened with the Bible is really what was happening in larger culture too. Patriarchy did become the dominant force. Whereas if you go back much more deeply historically, you find cultures that weren't so heavily steeped in patriarchy. There may have been defined roles for men and women, right. but women had a lot more freedom and women had more leadership and women weren't subservient. You know, they weren't necessarily um, forced to be um, in a subservient role. And so, you, and you see this, you know, I've, I've always been fascinated with American history and how native groups became colonized uh, by white settlers. I touch on this just a little bit in my book, but maybe this is a second or third book down the road. But there's a, a wonderful book called Cherokee Women, where you really see this, this shift happen where white settlers were coming over and negotiating with Cherokee women for crops. And they were outraged that they had to negotiate with women because women owned all the property. Oh, wow. Uh, and so eventually, of course, they were able to colonize the Cherokee and, you know, shift that around and place women in a more subservient role. And so, you know, you just see this happening in culture in general. And so the Bible is no different. You know, 
it gets anything that's powerful, any document that's powerful will become a part of, you know, the dominant narrative. And so what happens with Bible is that you see, uh, particularly with the church fathers, they develop this doctrine about women that subjugates them. Um, I had mentioned some of the quotes from some of the church fathers that are really appalling in the book that Mm -hmm. the ways that they conceive of women are horrible to us today. Uh, They think that women don't even possess the image of God. You know, you have Augustine saying that a woman doesn't even possess the image of God. She can only have access to that through union with a man. And that women are a temple built over a sewer. I think that's Tertullian. And Mm. so you have this very derogatory concept of women early on. But of course we don't find this, you know, with Jesus, we don't find this in the gospels. This is something that happens later. So it's something that is constructed, not out of taking the Bible as in a whole document and reconciling, you know, the different views of women, but by taking selected scriptures and forming views. And so with my book and with so many other books that are coming out, you know, this year, next year, it's books that have come out in, in academia. Um, what we're seeing is, you know, women going into texts and finding stories of women that represent women. And it's not that those stories aren't there. They are. They've just been somewhat intentionally hidden from our view. And so the big challenge that we have as women of faith is to go back and take these stories and say, what is God saying here? Where is God leading us through these women's stories? And how do we get there? And and how do we bring everybody along to see that God has a much fuller and broader view of women, of humanity, of, you know, faith in general, than we've allowed ourselves to even perceive. And it's, it's not even so much about women as it is about just people of faith, you know, wake up. Mm. God is doing a big thing um, through people. And when we put restrictions on gender and on, you know, women can do this, men can do this, but, you know, we're the ones that are restricting God. And so we get to see through these women's stories that God doesn't have these restrictions on women. This is this is a human thing, you know, um, this is a man-made thing, you know. Yeah, I had highlighted, um, I highlighted a lot in your book, but just in your intro, um, there was this paragraph that, that said, and I'm going to quote it here, <clears throat> somehow in this beautiful sacred book, which you're talking about the Bible, mm. we have learned to see restriction rather than freedom for women. We learned to see ourselves in the Bible stories that portrayed women as subservient and submissive, while the stories of women who led their communities spoke God's word and became heroes were put to sleep. In doing so, we've placed restrictions on how God works through us in the world. How much more powerful would our faith be today if we hadn't tampered with the evidence that women are whole and created in the image of God? That is so powerful and so true. I was taught to look at the Bible for my restrictions, like what I can and can't do. Like it was, that's really how I was taught. I was taught that women, women's place was to be a helper to men, you know, and 
and that's kind of why we were even created was just to help men. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly what the, we see in the writings of the church fathers. This is a narrative that they created about women and not taking into account all of these other stories, you know, in Proverbs eight, we even have woman wisdom who was with God. She's not in my book because she's just, she's just like her own book. Yeah, I'm, trying really to I'm trying to figure that out. But um, she's with God uh, before the creation of the world. She's dancing before him. She is a master carpenter. And so she builds the house of wisdom on earth so that the children of, of God can come and receive her wisdom. And those who d don't receive her wisdom, she says, end up perishing. Mm. And so... It's a beautiful chapter, chapter eight. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, what do we do with woman wisdom? I mean, you know, there's, in addition to all the other women who are speaking God's word and the women who are guarding the gates of the temple and, you know, all of these other women, the women who are leaders in the early church, what do we do with them? And they're not anomalies. They are part of the story of God's people. And... Will, Will de Gaffney is a, a scholar that has written a lot on the warrior women. And she states so beautifully that the narrators of Bible have left these female leaders in as if it just wasn't a thing, you know, that it was just a normal part of everyday life. So that's how we should treat them as well. <laughs> what I, I love about um, these stories. Well, first of all, you have stories of these women in your, in this book, but you also give us biblical passages to read that connect. So I loved reading a little passage. So I would go to my Bible and I would read the Bible passage first, and then I would read your story. But you also have a song that you wrote that is connected to every single woman, every single chapter. Did, did the songs come first or did the stories come first the text always come first you know the bible story and then when i was in seminary i had a professor that was also a musician and a studio engineer there in nashville at vanderbilt and john mcclure and he would say he would he taught us that well for me coming in as a songwriter that a sermon is no different than a song. It, you know, it has a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, you know, there's there's certainly a a chorus in each sermon. You know, it's it's a, a point that you're always trying to make. And so I began to look at Bible stories as material for songs. And I would just, you know, search for women's stories in the basement library of my divinity school that scholars had written about and they would just kind of jump out at me. And as I would read them, I would think of hooks in my head, you know, because I'm just geared that way. And these songs would just come out as a way of sharing their stories. And I would just write the songs, you know, from their perspective and make them kind of the style of music that I do, which is sort of like, I guess Americana rock. I don't know what you would call it, but um, yeah. So that's kind of how they came out. And I was, I was a rock singer. We did, we did like late nineties rock, you know? So 
the songs are definitely in that genre of rock. You know, that was the last great era of rock and roll anyways. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. I was uh, listening to some of your stuff. And of course, I told everyone earlier that you were in the the rock band, the Evan Roods and um, toured the world. Uh, well, the whole with, world, but parts of the world. <laughs> parts of the world. You were touring a lot, I'm sure, back in those days. So uh, I was listening to some of that stuff. I, I do remember the Evan Roods. And then I was listening to also some of the songs that you have on your website. And it's a beautiful transition. I'm sure you've been, you've heard, I mean, one of my one of my favorite songwriters is Sean Colvin and you, you have a love bit of a it, Sean yeah. Colvin. I know I was like, Oh my gosh, I love Sherry's voice. It's like kind of a cross between like Cheryl Crow and Sean Colvin, which is like, so that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Very cool. And what you've done by taking your artistry and then connecting it with this is so special. It really is very special. It feels very, very holy and very inspired um, what you did. Do you have a favorite song at all? I know that's hard to hard to answer. Uh, probably would be one of the newer ones called uh, the song "The Women Warriors Sing." The, yeah, that was the first one, right? Yeah, yeah. I love that song. I love of, that song too. I just listened to it this morning. Just Beautiful. because of the environment that it uh, produces, you know. It's I love. I just love visioning the wilderness journey and the women who were standing guard at, at this traveling sanctuary and kind of envisioning them in their armor and envisioning them, you know, in this sort of wilderness setting and the darkness and the, the utter darkness, you know, before electricity and, and just the, the whole, you know, the whole genre of prophecy biblically is fascinating to me anyway, because you have these people who are, divining God's word and speaking it into the world and to me that's just fascinating and people are are charting their existence based on these words that are coming through these women and it's just I don't know it just blows my mind it still blows my mind to think about it but um, some scholars think that they were looking into their mirrors and prophesying and some scholars think that their mirrors were made of bronze and they were melted down to make this sort of wash basin that stood outside of the Holy of Holies. It's just a fascinating story. And I loved writing it because it, it just made me feel the, the wilderness chills up and down my spine, you know. Just to guard 
You are listening to a clip of the song The Women Warriors Sing from Sherry's newest music project, Wild and Holy. This CD has 10 amazing songs, each one a beautiful accompaniment to each chapter in her new book, Wild and Holy, Women of the Bible. You can hear all these songs by going to her website, wildandholy.org, and then going up to the music tab. Or you can download them from any music streaming platform online. I think you'll find these songs a beautiful way to get in touch with the women Sherry brings to life and all her stories in this book. So do not miss out on adding these to your music collection. And now we'll get back to the conversation with Reverend Sherry Cothran. What's been here forever we've just been told Make a home in the cold for love I just can't even believe again that I missed that passage in scripture where, wait a minute, women were actually guarding the holy of they were guarding the temple they were they were guards like that feels especially in that day it feels so weird that they would have women guarding the temple like i don't know how i missed well you that. have a tradition of women in military you have deborah who's a, a military leader she's a right. judge uh you have there's three instances, uh, Will Gaffney points out that we see women standing at the gates of the traveling sanctuary and then the temple. I mentioned them in the chapter. There's first or second Samuel. I can't remember which. And then there's John where Peter has to negotiate with the woman who's guarding the gates before he can get into Jesus trial. So these things just kind of flip by, you know, we don't see, we don't, we don't see it. Right. And then you have Huldah, who's a prophet, who's standing at the gates. And it's really interesting because even today, and I mentioned this in the chapter, there are the Huldah gates if you are to visit the temple in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So she had a reputation. Somehow her name ended up being the name of the gates that we think she may have stood at. Um, So you have this sort of, mm, yeah, these women who are standing at the gates and you know, what do we do with that? Uh, and so scholars have gone back in and sort of reinterpreted the Hebrew and really feel that there is a military connotation to their, their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember. Holda is a whole new character in the Bible for me. And she's a pretty major character. And she is a major, but I honestly, like, I was like, who's Hulda? (laughs) I don't even know. (laughs) Of course I'd heard of Deborah, you know, and I, and you know, there were some of the women in here that I had heard of, but um, there were some of them that I had not that you brought to light. And I'm like, how did I miss this? Uh, um, I don't even know how you say the woman king. Say Athalia. 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 Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. There was a woman king in the Bible? Like, yeah, that was completely glossed over. <laughs> she is. She rules the southern kingdom. Of Judah, for, right? Yeah, for seven years. And she is traditionally, well, 
anyway, just read the chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read the chapter. It's, <laughs> it's complicated. Fast, it's fascinating, but you do a great job of bringing each one of these women's stories to life. And then you, you do this wonderful transition of helping us, the reader, take their story and with, with great reflection questions at the each, end of each chapter, help us turn in that story and kind of bring to light certain issues in our own story that we need to maybe empower through that. Yes. Because these women are, they're like our foremothers. Yes. And, and they represent what's missing in us. Yes. I think there's women of faith in particular. I know that before I began getting into their stories and sort of taking this leg of my journey, I always felt like there was something missing Hmm. and some place inside of me that I couldn't access. And I think that that had to do with being told that I didn't have access to my intuition, that I had to follow male authority, and that I couldn't trust my intuition because I was a woman. And I think that we are subconsciously taught that even, that, well, we've got we've to be a little wary of our of our instincts and our intuition and we've got to get, we've got to have it rubber stamped with a, a man's permission because we can't trust it, you know? And I, that was really ingrained in me. Like, I don't, I don't even know if it was an intentionally taught to me. I think it was just part of the water that I swam in mm-hmm. as a Southern Baptist. And I don't think that even <clears throat> the people that loved me and my parents would even say like, we meant that. I don't even think they were aware of it. And so we're just now kind of waking up to that, that like, oh, wait a minute. I actually am a full person. The image of God is within me. I can trust my instincts. I can make my own way. I can stand on my own two feet. You know, mm-hmm. I can be a full person partner to a man. And I'm not here just to serve a man. You know, if I choose to be a partner and I choose to be of service, then that is a choice I'm making. It's not a duty that, you know, I'm just here to fulfill that duty. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk a little bit about, you know, service to others. I mean, when I became a pastor, I was dedicating my life to service, you know, to God and to others. And I understood that. And I love that. And I, I grew and healed so much because of that. But I also came to understand along the way that if you just give service to others without understanding who you are as a person and as a self, without, you know, with holes in your identity, then you are setting yourself up for massive burnout and massive exhaustion and yes. fatigue because you have to be filled as a person, as a self before you can go out and really be of service to others because you are really sharing this God, God's love and God's healing and the energy of God is coming through you. And part of that is becoming a self, you know, becoming a a full person in, in the image of God and understanding what that is. And I think as women, we haven't always been, granted the full I think full access even to ourselves (laughs) yeah you know it's it's complex but 
as we grow and as we heal and as we become more whole, we begin to have that access to our intuition and to our instincts and to ourselves. And it feels really good. It, it begins to feel, you know, you begin to feel like a whole person. Yes, I, I think so too. And, you know, it's interesting going back to that, um, that we were taught not to trust our own emotions, our own instincts, our own feelings. I, um, I mean, I talked to men that feel like that was just sort of taught in general, not just to women, but in certain sects of Christianity. It was like, we can't trust our feelings. We can't trust our experiences. It was like, we, it, everything is false that we're, and then of course with women, we're just so emotional. Then that just compiles on all that. We can't trust anything, you know? No, and your emotions are really your strength, you know, and you learn in the healing journey that, your emotions and your feelings are what connect you to the divine. <laughs> they are your pathway. You yeah, know? that's right. I mean, that's how the Holy Spirit works in us, right? It's through our feelings. I mean, it's exactly. through our emotions, through, through our internal experience with God. And so it's almost like, wait a minute, if I'm, they're saying I can't trust what I'm feeling and I think I'm being led by the spirit, then yeah, that just didn't make sense to me all of a sudden. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so we're we're kind of, I think a lot of women are of faith right now in this moment are beginning to wake up to, to ourselves, you know, to our wholeness mm -hmm. and to our pathway with God, the fullness of that, you know, having access to the fullness. It's not that we didn't have access to God. It's just... Mm -hmm. Having access to God's fullness living through us without these parameters being placed on it by other people. Hey friends, we're taking one more quick break to just remind you that this podcast is sponsored by God and My Girlfriend's Ministries, which is a nonprofit that supports women in all walks of life. Women helping women become everything God created them to be. That's our mission. We have online Bible studies and book clubs, live events, weekend workshops and retreats, a single mama's ministry, and also this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about what we do or get involved in any way with any of our programs, please message us on our website. It's GodandMyGirlfriendsOnline.com. Or you can find us on any of our socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and even Twitter. So reach out when you can and let us know how we can serve you or maybe someone that you know. And now, back to the conversation. It's such a leap in my brain from you going to being a touring rock musician to deciding you wanted to go into ministry. Was there a certain, like, significant point that where you knew that you really wanted to go into full-time ministry? Yeah, it was like an epiphany, really. I think it was really more uh, what we're talking about here. You know, I had become successful in rock and roll without feeling that I had access to myself. Mm. <laughs> and so I think that was really the thing more than, you know, it being rock and roll or whatever. It was just not having you know, I needed to go through some healing. Yeah. And so 
and I'd always felt that I had had some sort of calling, which I, I think everyone has a calling. Uh, and I wanted to pursue that and I've gotten into some crazy situations in rock and, yeah. you know, it was, I didn't know what to do with all that. And church felt safe to me. It felt, it felt like home. It felt like I could have community again, but I went back in as a Methodist and of course, Methodist ordained women and, and so that allowed me to have a pathway that felt more like me. And the Methodists just really embraced me and, you know, helped me get through seminary. And, and that ordination process was uh, just really wonderful and a lot of growth and a lot of healing and, and feeling like my life had value because I all of a sudden was in service to others. I was working with a lot of people who suffered from homelessness and refugees and immigrants. I was pastor of a, a urban church there in West Nashville. And I just began to grow and, and feel that my life had taken on value and meaning in this service and living my life in the stories that I was familiar with and then exploring new stories and opening up to new horizons in, in my faith journey. And that 10 years that I served as pastor was, well, I served for 12 years, but I was um, senior pastor for 10 and it really shaped and molded me and shaped and molded these stories in me in such a way that I I felt I had something to share with people that was um, that could really help that could really help people find healing and hope and I think that's just that's just the journey I, I was on <laughs> I can't really explain it um, yeah I think I'm always saying, I think we just learn best from each other, just from each other's stories. And so when someone like you, who has a gift of writing, not just songs, but, but a book can share her journey. Um, I think it's just really easy for other people to kind of latch on. It's like, okay, this is a real person that went through this and, and they can learn just from your experiences. And, and so I'm just so grateful that you put this all together. Cause I think it's going to really, really be a real service to many, many women. Um, and speaking of service, I, before I, I can't let you go before talking about your nonprofit beloved woman, tell me a little bit about that. It's always been a dream ever since I was in seminary to, I, I was fascinated with microloans and all that economic development and when I was a pastor, I worked with a community that really suffered from poverty. And I met a lot of women who would really benefit from having a program in which they could develop a small business. And also learned that a lot of women who are raising family uh, at poverty level income, you know, minimum wage jobs, often have something that they do on the side for money, whether it's selling a product or housekeeping or, um, you know, having a food truck on the weekends, all kinds of things that women do for extra income. And I thought it would be so cool to have a program that helped them get the training they need to develop this into a bigger business and maybe eventually be fully self-employed but I also realized this would take time. And so 
I developed a program called Beloved Woman. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. And we have women come into our program for an initial nine-week training in which they do a feasibility study on their small business idea. And they get the training they need to turn it into a business if they haven't already. And then they stay with us for one to two years. We assign them a female business mentor. They come into small groups and they get further training, further access to resources. They can take out a micro loan if they so choose and they find that it's that's what they need. And they stay with us while they develop their business idea and we give them access to community and clientele and just kind of help them build. And we're celebrating our first year this fall and we started during COVID, but we've worked with nine women this year and they're just doing amazing things and they're so inspiring. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we're hoping to start a chapter in Nashville next year. So we'll have one in Chattanooga, one in Nashville and so yes, I want to be in Nashville. <laughs> no, <Yeah. laughs> I want to be with Nashville friends more. But no, it's it's something that's very needed in Nashville as well. And yes, it really so it, is. Yeah, so we're gonna expand a little bit, and just really exciting, and and it's just a wonderful community. Uh, I call it the beloved community because it really is to me a slice of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Aww. So that's just so beautiful. <laughs> any uh, any thoughts of ever moving back to Nashville? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I would love to be by city, you know. Yeah. Uh, to be have a a presence in in both, but um, I'm kind of a nomad, so we'll <laughs> see. What I'm oh, a nomad well. in one region. So. <laughs> Well, luckily, Chattanooga and Nashville aren't that far away from each other. So no, they're only two hours. It's it's a really easy drive and I, I do it often. So yeah, we'll we'll see what the future brings. But I love Chattanooga too. It is just such a wonderful place to be. The community there has been phenomenal and it's just been an amazing place. We've really loved it. So well, good. Well, I hope that some time soon when you're in Nashville, we can grab a cup of coffee. Me too. Meet face to face. I would love that. Um, again, the book is called Wild and Holy Women of the Bible, Leading Us on Healing Pathways by Sherry Cawthron. Thank you again for joining us today. It means so much. And uh, stay in touch, okay? Thank you so much, Marsha. Have and a good day. Blessings to everyone in your community. Thank you. Bye, Sherry. Bye. She is a delight, and she's so wise, and she has done the hard work of study and research so that she knows what she is teaching us is truth, that we can depend on her to lead us in the right direction. I am so grateful for her and for her work, and I know you guys are going to love this book. One thing we did not touch on is that she is going to be leading some wild and holy weekends. Girlfriends, this is something we got to go to, seriously. Um, in the show notes, 
I will put links to her, all her websites, but the main one you want to go to is wildandholy.org. And there you can sign up for her newsletter and you can find out when she's going to do her Wild and Holy weekends. Um, on Friday nights, there's a little concert that is um, interactive. Everyone gets involved tell your stories, learn from these stories, and then the next day she does some teaching sessions. So I know they're going to be fulfilling and healing and enlightening and a worthy, worthy investment of our time. So let's all make plans to go, shall we? She said there might be one even in August, that soon here in Nashville. So make sure you go to wildandholy.org, sign up for her newsletter so that you can be alerted to all of the wild and holy events that are going to happen and hopefully we can all go that would be so fun well i guess that's it for this week um be sure and come back next week for our season finale i'm going to be talking with the amazing miss carol ford so you do not want to miss that conversation i thank you so much again for being part of this uh, podcast with us i hope you'll take the time to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening it really really helps us so much so thank you for that in the meantime we'll see you next monday have a great week be well love y'all bye